There we go. Now, can you back up just a little bit? Now, I really love you guys. But if you really want to be my friend today, I have a challenge for you. Yeah. Okay. Back up a little bit more. Back up a little more. Spread out a little bit. Because if you really want to be with me today, you have to be able to jump as high as this table. Okay, let's see it. Oh, my. Look. Okay, one more time, real quick. Jump up. Oh, no. None of you made it. None of you made it. Isn't it? It's, you know what? It's hard. It would be if I, if I said, you, if you really want to be my friend, I, you, I make you jump on this table. Go ahead. All right. Now we got a little, you know what? God loves us so much. Yeah. Yeah, see, that would be cheating, wouldn't it? God loves us so much that he made a way that we could go to heaven, right? By, because Jesus came down and paid the price for our sins. And so when we accept Jesus, we get to be in heaven with God. But there's even better news along with that. Because when God saved us, he said, I want you to be holy like me. That would be like jumping up on this table for you guys, wouldn't it? How many of you can be really good every day? Me. Yeah? Okay, Mom. What do you think? Yes? No? No? Okay. I don't think so, buddy. No. And God wouldn't ask us to do something except for it's our own good. God wants us to be like him because he knows that's what we need. That's how we feel satisfied. And so if God would ask you to jump on this table or you couldn't be good and you couldn't be his child, would that be good of God? No. So he supplies a way not only to help us be in heaven with him, but to be good. And he calls it his Holy Spirit. And he puts that Holy Spirit inside us. Just like Holly, who couldn't jump up on this table by herself, we can't jump up and be good by ourselves. We need God's Holy Spirit. So he puts his Holy Spirit inside us. And just like Holly's father lifted her up to be up here, the Holy Spirit lifts us up to be good like God. But you guys be careful up there. I don't want you falling off. Okay? But unlike her father, who sometimes is not with Holly, sometimes, we you know, we as fathers, we got to go to work. The Holy Spirit is with us all the time, every day, every second, helping us to be like God. I know. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is always right there, buddy, just for you. All right. Okay, that's it. That's the end of the sermon. You guys can go downstairs. Thank you for coming. Now, you may have thought that that was for them. It wasn't. It was for you. You get the conclusion of the sermon right before we start. In a, in a, hopefully in terms you could understand, because that's basically what we're going to be talking about today. It's, and it's very important for you to understand why 
God wants you to be holy. How? God helps you to be holy. And what happens when we fail? Okay. We spoke last, the last three weeks about regeneration. And I struggled with that in that as I'm preparing my sermons, honestly, I'm, I really am asking God to give me the message he wants you to have. And so we talked about regeneration, and I believe in regeneration, and we talked, you know, that before the, the believer can come to faith, that he has to be born again, and that is a work by God and by God alone in the life of the believer so that he can be born again and accept the message of salvation and come to him. Okay, so I, we talked about that, but one of the aspects that we talked about was that there is some differences in Christianity and differences of opinion exactly who's doing it, you know, whether again it's whether it's God or me or or in when it happens. And, and as I was going through that, as I as I hope I the point I made, but so now I gotta go back in kid terms and do it again. I just want to make sure you understood why God was leading me to certain things regarding this. And he, I was really convicted. So my true lesson after we got through the points of regeneration were how do we evaluate doctrines when serious Bible scholars don't agree? And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because we do have to get on to uh, this next one. But do you understand what I was trying to get at? Uh, hopefully over those three weeks you understood that th th this is one, a doctrine, regeneration, where there is differences of opinion. And here's what I find myself doing and that is sometimes I read into Scripture what I want. And sometimes I bring biases and selfish motives when I go to the Word of God, and therefore I don't get the truth out of it. I, I, I have it say what I want it to say before I start le reading it and, and opening it. And so I'm going to ask... Do you do that? Because what we really want, isn't it? What we really want is God's truth for our life. And we can use that little doctrine as an example. And, and, and there, I don't think there's a lot of, other than to say I did it on my own, and you had no part in your first birth, you had no part in your second birth, other than just being there. But other than that, I mean, we could agree to disagree on a lot of aspects about regeneration and still be saved. And so, as an example, we got that. But there are other things in Scripture that when we go to it and we already have an idea of what we want it to say or we already have an idea of how I want to believe because that's just how I've always believed or if I have something that I need to try to justify in my own life and so I will take things this a certain way or take it out of context or, God forbid, I take things out of Scripture and I beat other people over the head with them. I don't want you to do that. And I, I know as human beings, we are very susceptible to being like that. And so one of the lessons that hopefully you got from the last three weeks of preaching up here is that when I go to the Word of God, I need it to say what God wants it to say. And in order to do that, we're going to fold into some things that we're going to talk about today. You need, and God promises, supernatural discernment from the Holy Spirit 
to understand what it is that the Bible is trying to tell us. My question or my challenge is that when I go to Scripture, am I asking God supernaturally, not in my own wisdom, not in my own experience, not in my own thought processes, not in my own reasoning, but through supernatural discernment that the Holy Spirit would lead me into all truth because that's what God promises. So, I don't want to back up there too long, but I was hoping you got that from the, from the last three weeks, and I thought about it this week, and I'm thinking, hmm, I'm going to reinforce that. So hopefully that's the deal. Know when you go to Scripture, and God wants us to be in Scripture. It's one of the ways that he transforms us back into the image of Jesus is through the supernatural power of his word. But we need supernatural discernment in order to find that truth and apply it to our lives. And that takes an effort on your part to submit yourself to that spirit so that he can speak truth into your life. Okay, enough about last time. This time, point five. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit, by whose indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a godly life. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit, by whose indwelling in us we are enabled to live a godly life. That's true. Uh, is there a sentence in the Bible that says exactly that? No. This is a doctrine. And a doctrine comes from the entire canon of Scripture. But we have said, when we say we believe, what what does that mean? So here's what we're going to do. Number one, though, I have to share with you something first. We're going to examine six different aspects of this, and it will not be completed this week. This is a two-parter. I'm going to warn you right now. The first thing we're going to look at is what does exactly does that statement mean right there? Then we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be indwelled? Is he really in there? And what does that mean? What, what is exactly is God talking about when he says the Holy Spirit indwells the life of the Christian? And then the third thing, if he is in there, what does he bring to the table? What exactly is he in there doing? What does he bring with him? What can I expect from him as being someone who indwells me? That's probably as far as we're going to get today. Then next week we're going to be looking at more application. And this one's kind of a teaching session today, but next time we're going to be talking about application and the, the inevitable questions. I don't know how many of you had an opportunity to see the little blurb about the sermon in the website, but you know there are questions, I think, that inevitably come up. Well, if that's true, Machias Community Church Statement of Faith, if that Holy Spirit is in there and he's, he's in there so I can live a more godly life, why is it so stinking hard? Why do I have such a hard time being good? And then the next question, which hopefully is inevitable, is how can I do better? And then the last question, which I think we've probably all asked ourselves at one point or another, what happens when I fail? 
we see, and we're going to see why, these are important questions because we see Christians struggling. And they try to live the Christian life. And, they, and they're trying hard. And they mean well. And they fail. And then they, they get discouraged. Or they think, well, maybe I'm not saved. And maybe the Holy Spirit's not in there. And they try harder, and they redouble their efforts, and through self-will and, and discipline, they try to be good, and they can't. And so, usually a couple things happens. One is you fake it for a while, and put on your Sunday school face in front of all your friends, and then finally you give up because it's just too hard. Because guess what? You can't jump up on the table by yourself. So we're going to look at those application things next week. But this week, uh, we're going to look at the first three. But first, as I've said a number of times, I'm a big picture guy. And so <clears throat> the first question that comes to my mind is, reading through this, why? Why? Why should I live a godly life? Okay, I, I understood that, um, and I, this is the process, we're going to go back through it again. At some point, if I am a follower of Christ, and I am, then I was predestined and foreknown. I was called. I was regenerated by the Holy Spirit. I was given faith by God to believe, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Immediately... In our time, I was changed from a category of an object of God's wrath to an object of God's love, mercy, and grace. Boom, happened right then. I know that my eternal heritage is now secure. I know that God is keeping me in his hands, and he's going to present me blameless in the final day when Jesus comes again. That's what Scripture tells me. Wonderful. So what? why do I need a godly life? My eternal future is secure. Why is it that God now says, be holy as I am holy? How many of you have tried that on your own? And how did that work for you? I think Ron has said, I'm going to use you a couple of times today, because he has said, I saw that in the scripture and I thought, I got no chance. And you're right. You have no chance. I can't be Jesus. Why, God, are you putting this on me? Are you just trying to torment me? Be holy as I am holy? Really? Are you kidding me? And without the Holy Spirit, that wouldn't be too fair, would it? But he says, and this is another thing I'm going to acknowledge, Ron, and I don't know if you wrote the song or not, but there was a song, and we were singing it, and it was... Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. And Ron changed the words because that didn't fit Scripture. And he changed the words to say, holiness is what you want for me. Not from me, for me. Because guess what? We can't produce holiness on our own. And when God says, I demand you to be holy, he's saying, I, I need you to be holy because that's what I want for you. Do you understand the bigger picture 
God is not just testing us. He's not trying to frustrate us on purpose for fun. He's not checking to see if we're going to try it, striving to do it on our own so, so that we can fail. What does he really want for us after he saves us? Think about this. He created us in his own image. He became one of us. He became one of us and came down and died for us. And in his perfection, he became sin to save us from our sin. He created a way to pay the penalty so that we could escape escape the death sentence and he provided reconciliation and restoration. And now the true thing that God desires for us is relationship. We talked about this yesterday in men's breakfast. Um, Why is it that God wants me to be holy? Because he knows that the one thing that I need, the one thing that I need as a human being, the one thing being created in God's image that I need is intimacy with the Creator. God is not saying be holy as I'm holy just because I'm boss and I'm telling you. Although he is, and he did. He's not saying be holy as I am holy so you'll have to strive the rest of your life to try to be like me. We don't. And he will do it, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is he knows the only thing that satisfies me ultimately is intimacy with him. Eventually we'll have it with no sin nature and no sin in our flesh. But in the meantime, right now, he knows, he knows If you want to find what I intend for you to have, it comes through one thing, and that is intimacy with me. And the only way for you to even start that process was for you to be saved and reconciled back to me, and that required the sacrifice of Jesus. But now that you've been reconciled, we need to transform you back into my image, not because I'm sick and tired of looking at you sinfulness, but because I know you need intimacy with me. Relationship is why God says, be holy as I am holy. And just like our inability to jump up on the table as kids, we have no ability to be holy without God. But praise be to God, this statement is true. He gives us his Holy Spirit so that by submitting to that Holy Spirit, He will live in you and through you and bring things into your life that will make you more like Jesus. So that, not just, just, that's not it. It's so that you can have a quality relationship with Jesus now. He died for your eternal destiny. He also died so that you and I can have relationship with God now. Be holy as I am holy. Don't look at it as a curse. Don't look at it as a challenge. Don't look at it as something that's just frustrating and hard to do. Look at it as God's wonderful gift to you so that you can experience Him in an intimate way. Okay. Get off the soapbox. So here we go, and we're going to be looking at the first question that I said, and that is, what exactly are we talking about when 
we say that statement. We believe. Okay, when I say we believe, you got to go back to statement number one in the statement of faith, and that is, why would I say that? We believe. In fact, I think all of them start this way. We believe because, help me out. It's going to be a long time if you don't help me out. We believe because it's in Scripture, right? So we're going to say we believe this is true. We are saying, when we put this on our website, on our statement of faith, that we as a church have read the Bible and we believe this is what it says. Well, I would hear somebody call up and say, well, I don't believe that. Okay, why don't you believe that? Well, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. I don't believe the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, I only go one place when I try to figure out what it is that I believe about God, and, and that's the Bible. And it does say that. Let me walk you through it. Okay, so we believe. We believe, then, in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, The Holy Spirit had a ministry in your life to bring you to salvation. Okay, done. Out of here. No. We believe that presently, currently, right now, in your life, all the time, the Holy Spirit has a ministry in your life. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit and that he is indwelling your life. And we're going to look at that in point two in more detail. John 14, 16 and 17 says, which is probably on the next one. Maybe I have the wrong one. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because neither, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him, for he dwells within you, and he will be in you. And that word in there, dwelling, um, is the word okeo, to occupy a house or reside in. So he's in there, and he's indwelling. And then it says, we believe that this indwelling enables the believer, enables, not, not, not makes, it, but enables. Now, why would it say enables instead of just say, we believe that this indwelling of the Holy Spirit is going to make you holy? How many of you have noticed in your life that there were periods of time when you didn't do very well in your Christian walk? I'll close my eyes so I don't see who's raising their hand. Okay. Um, It enables us, but there's some cooperation on our part that has to happen. And I've always kind of wondered about that. You know, in in fact, any of you who've been around me for a long time know that I question this a lot. Like, I believe that God, you sent your Holy Spirit and overwhelmed me to bring me to you. Why didn't you just overwhelm me completely and keep me in there and make me good? And then we'll look at that next week as we see Paul struggling with those same issues in Romans chapter 7 and then find an answer in Romans chapter 8. If you want to prepare for next week, read Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8. But it enables us. But, but what it does say is that, that God, when this happened, when we were saved, 
He cut the chains of our slavery to our old nature. We've been given a new heart. We're, we're given a new mind, and we're supposed to be renewing our mind, right? But, but we're no longer slaves to the sin nature because before those chains were cut, we were slaves. We were slaves to a nature that didn't want anything to do with God, that couldn't do anything to please God because all that's done in faith. And he cut those chains, and now he's in there, and he's saying, look, I will do it, but you've got to let me drive. I will fix you. I will make you more like Jesus. Now, I know that this is a work in progress. This isn't like my salvation where just one instant I was moved from being unsaved to saved, you know, from, from, from being an object of wrath to an object of love. That happened immediately, but this one's a process. It's a process over the entire course of our lives, and we are always, always, always a work in progress. And sometimes the work stops. Who stopped it? Be looking at that. Yeah, because God's still in there. He says he promises to be in there all the time, and, and, and he has both the intent and the ability to change me. And so i got to look at that and say, well, why am I not being changed quicker? So that's what we're going to talk about next time. But he's in there, and he says, I will enable you to be and live a godly life. And then what about this godly life? What does that look like? And then we see in 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 13 and 16, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, which also sounds like, right, no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world. In Romans 12, 2. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, we know from Scripture that there is, a, there is a imputed righteousness, that there is a positional holiness that we get. And that's one of the things that happens when I'm saved. I am moved from this position of, of, of being a child of wrath, but I'm, I'm now over here completely righteous positionally in the, in the sight of God because I am cloaked with the righteousness of Jesus. But on a practical basis, day to day, I still sin. And so I'm trying to figure out what's this all about. It says, be holy as I am holy. And I, I recognize that I have a holiness that I borrow from Jesus. And then when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Although on a day-to-day -day basis, my sin still gets in the way of my relationship with God. And so he says, be holy as I am holy, both in a positional sense, which I will do and I am doing. But I want you to be holy in a practical sense because then you can start to experience the joy of intimate relationship with me. That's what this statement is saying. We believe the Holy Spirit is in there. He has the power. He's in there, and he will enable us to live a more godly life. Okay, questions. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Okay, he's in there, and he's in there with the intent of helping us to live a holy life. Okay, how do I know he's really in there, Tim? We believe 
The Bible tells us that. We've already seen in John 14, 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he dwells in you and will be in you. So it also says in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, you, however, are not of the flesh but are of the spirit. We're going to be looking at this next week too. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, you're one of his, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give you to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So it's very clear from Scripture that it's telling us, if I am a Christian, then the Holy Spirit is actually dwelling in me. And I said that, that, that word dwell. Um, we look at another Scripture in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that God's Spirit dwells in you? And so we look at that word, the temple, which is uh, used there in Corinthians, and it is the word naos. It's to dwell in a shrine or a temple. And then that word meno, to abide with you from John 14, 17, is the word meno, to stay in a given place continually, to dwell and be present at all times. So the Bible clearly tells me that yes, when I become a Christian, this supernatural thing happens, that God not only is just rooting for me from the sidelines, he is in me to effect what I need to be like him so that I can have relationship with him, which is in the end the only thing that satisfies. In fact, it's the only thing that matters. And, it's, and it says in there pretty definitively there in Romans that if I don't have the Holy Spirit, then I'm not one of his. And it tells us in other places that he gives us his Holy Spirit as a deposit so that I can know I'm saved. It's a deposit that, that's in there all the time as a guarantee of my heritage. So I'm telling you right now, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. No excuses then, huh? And I'll tell you this, he's in there for a purpose. He's in there with the intent to do a lot of things. One of them is to make you more like Jesus. And he has the power to do it. So back to the question again, which we're going to explore next week. Why is it so hard? Why is it that I have these times when I get very little progress? There's something that he's waiting for me to do. We're going to talk about that later. Okay, so we know that he's in there. In fact, in that one verse, it kind of tells us uh, that the entire Trinity is involved. It says we have the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, we have the, the Spirit of Jesus in me, and then God the Father. All of them. All of them are referred to. It's kind of crowded in there, I guess. If I'm a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit and he's dwelling in me. So if he's dwelling in me, what is it that he's bringing to the table? Okay, you're in there. And you have the intent, one of the things you're going to do is the intent to make me more like Jesus so that I can have better relationship with God. What is it that you bring? How would I find out? I would go to Scripture. That's what I do. That's what you should do. 
So it says in there that the Holy Spirit is a teacher. We look at Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And then we see in John chapter 14, verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, which is one of those, the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. What I'm going to ask you after I give you each one of these tools that the Holy Spirit is bringing into your life is, if I opened up the toolbox of the Holy Spirit, are the tools going to look bright and shiny and new from no use? Or are they going to be worn and well used? Because if the Holy Spirit is in there and he's supposed to be my teacher, am I his pupil? Am I submitting to the teacher? Am I asking him? They're saying, look, Jesus is telling his disciples, they're going to haul you up in front of the, of the rulers, and they're going to be putting you on trial. Don't worry. Don't worry. When the time comes, my Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say. How many times do we get into a situation where we want to talk to someone, or we want to, we want to argue a point in, in Scripture, or, or we're just trying to find an answer, And instead of going to the Holy Spirit as a teacher, we just say, no, I can do this. I can do this. I can stand up here and say, I can do this. But I ask God, you give me your words. I don't have anything for these people. I go to his word and I ask his spirit, what should I say? Now, I'm still human. I still say stupid stuff up here. Forgive me for that. But are we looking to the Holy Spirit as our teacher or are we trying to learn some other way from our own experiences, from the world, from culture, from any other source? Even when we go to the Word of God, am I trying to learn as, with the Holy Spirit as my teacher or am I trying to figure it all out on my own? He's in there. He wants to change you into the form of Jesus. He's your teacher. Listen. Be a good pupil. He's also your guide it says in John 16:13 When the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come So Holy Spirit is my guide how many of you are using the Holy Spirit as the guide of your life don't raise your hand I know A lot of times in my life, when this was Tim Henley's plan, God, would you bless it? Why do we do that? The Holy Spirit is in there to change me into the image of Christ. He's in there to to, to create relationship with God, and he says, I will guide you in your life. Uh, Tim, would you get your stinking hands off the wheel? I'd like to steer the boat, wouldn't you? That's what we do. Do I let the Holy Spirit be my guide or not? says he will. says that's one of his jobs. Do I look in the toolbox and the guide tool is sitting there still wrapped up in plastic? Or is it well used because 
by golly, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit guide my life. And that means I've got to put everything in front of him first before I decide. That means I've got to be looking for his wisdom, not my own. That means I have to be open to being led by the Holy Spirit. That's his job. He's in there. And guess what? He's always willing. And when it doesn't happen, when Tim Henley does his thing, it's not because the Holy Spirit was asleep or looked the other way. It's because I wasn't using him as the guide that he was given me to be. Boy, did I get myself into a lot of trouble. And God even used those things in my life to teach me lessons. But we can avoid a lot of problems in our lives if we actually use the resource that God gave us, which is his Holy Spirit, to guide our lives into the will of God, the sweet spot in the will of God, to do the things that glorify God instead of the things we want. The Holy Spirit's in there. He's your guide. Take advantage. The Holy Spirit also provides discernment. This is a big one. This is one that I think oftentimes we don't take advantage of either. In 1 Corinthians, you've got to listen to this. I'm trying to finish up here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 10 through 14, this, this, is really, this is really good. This is good stuff. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. He's talking about the whole salvation message and the gospel. And this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And he's telling them, look, I have this message. And it didn't come from me. It didn't come from man. If it was, it would be stupid. Because man had a whole other way of working things out. No, this doesn't make any sense. In fact, it's foolishness to you guys that don't know or don't have the spirit. So he says this, these things God has revealed to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Holy Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this to you in words, not by human wisdom, but words taught to us by the Holy Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth, to those who are spiritual. For the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolishness to him, and he's unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You ask yourself, why did I come to Christ? Because the Holy Spirit allowed you to understand and accept the message. He provides discernment in your life. Again, Part of what I said before I even started was in this last three weeks talking about discernment. When I go to Scripture, do I use the Holy Spirit's discernment or am I bringing to it these selfish ideas that I already have? Am I allowing God to speak to me through His Word and giving me the discernment of the Holy Spirit so that I can understand it and apply it to my life? If you don't, try this. If you don't do it now, try it. Find a passage of Scripture. Read it. Then shut up and meditate on it. And allow God to speak to you through his Holy Spirit. The truth of that passage and apply it to your heart. He's in there to help you know truth from error. But we hear things. Again, I hate to bring stuff up from the pandemic, but ah, 
and again, I give us a B plus. I think we did pretty well. But I saw other churches. Man, you think, do you have no discernment at all? Why are you spewing these hateful messages? Why are you using worldly wisdom to come up with how we should be dealing with this? Have you no discernment? Have you not asked the Holy Spirit to show you the way to deal with the pandemic and what it's done to divide people and divide Christians? That discernment was available. Do we use it? If I go to the Holy Spirit toolbox and I open it up and the discernment tool is still in there without a scratch on it, that's a shame. That's a shame for us. Because God makes that available as he says, I will enable you with the indwelling of my spirit to live a more godly life. And one of my tools is that I'm going to provide you discernment and lead you into all truths. But we have to take advantage of the tools God gives us. He also convicts us of sin. Now that's a good one. We had some worldly examples of this, right? We see the little Jiminy Cricket thing, right, on your shoulder. Let your conscience be your guide. There isn't a, well, there kind of is. I mean, there is this, right, we have two voices, and we're going to listen to and, and see that next week as we read through Romans chapter 7, that there is this fleshly thing that's in me all the time. I wish it was totally gone, but it's not. And it battles against what God wants. It says, okay, Tim, today, right now, right now, is it going to be me or is it going to be you? Okay. And I have to decide, am I going to submit? And is it going to li- am I going to live in the spirit or am I going to live in the flesh? But the Holy Spirit is in there. And let me, let me read you this. It's out of Psalms 51. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. So he had committed this grave sin. And God used through his Holy Spirit the prophet Nathan. Now, if you want to call the Holy Spirit in you the prophet Nathan, you can, I guess. But, but now, instead of having to have the prophet Nathan come to David, now the prophet Nathan's spirit and voice lives in you. And this is what he said. And this was David's response. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, please blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. The Holy Spirit is there. And he's going to remind you when you've wandered off the trail. And he's going to convict you. That's one of his jobs is to say, (laughs) you know this is wrong. Right? I'm still here. This is wrong. But it also says in Scripture, I can choose to ignore him. And then after a while, I can sear my heart. Don't do that. The Holy Spirit is convicting us to bring us back into the right path of living in his power. So once again... We can have intimacy and relationship with God. The Holy Spirit's in there for the purpose of transforming us. So in conclusion, without going too far over, the Holy Spirit's God. 
The Holy Spirit was necessary for your salvation. The Holy Spirit is necessary for your transformation. The Holy Spirit indwells all believers. The Holy Spirit has both the intent and the resources to do the job that was stated in this this point, point five, to enable us to live godly lives. And yet, sometimes it doesn't go very smoothly. The normal reaction when human beings are faced with a challenge, when they're going through something, when they're having a problem, is two things, really. To, to flee in fear, or, or as part of that, avoid it or deny it or rationalize it, or we try to power through it on our own. Okay, God, I'm having a, I'm having a really tough time walking the Christian walk. I'm just going to power through this, and I can do it. Or... I'm afraid, and I run away, or I deny it, or rationalize it, and then finally I give up. Neither one of those is God's plan for your life. Neither one of those takes advantage of the gift He's given you of the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind, this is all for God's glory and our good. Relationship with Him is the real goal, and in the end, it's the answer to all of our needs and all the cravings of our soul. Next week, we're going to talk about if it is the Holy Spirit's job to help us live godly lives, why is it so hard, and how can we do it better, and what happens when we fail. But for now, think about the tools in the toolbox and whether or not you're using them for your own benefit and the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so grateful. Well, let me just put it this way, Lord. Um, I wish I were more grateful Sometimes I'm grateful. Sometimes I take it for granted. What you've done to both save me, but not just save me, but make me better. Make me more like you. And instead of, Lord, making it a toiling struggle all the time that I'm trying to do in my flesh, Lord, help me take advantage of the gift that you've given me of your Holy Spirit. I know you want this for me because it's best for me. Lord, help us to take advantage of that. Quit struggling in the flesh. Let the Holy Spirit take over. Lord, I just thank you for that progress that I've seen in myself and others in this congregation as I see spiritual maturity and growth going on as you're working in their lives and we can't, we can't take that for granted and we want to acknowledge it and be grateful for it. Lord, I see the growth and I am so thankful. Continue that, Lord, to work both in us and through us to accomplish your will right here in Machias. And we just thank you and praise you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.